online, there's a place for you to pick up a worksheet for pre-planning your own funeral. Over these four weeks of the series, we've been filling out parts of these together. We don't often think about what we want for our end, but if I have something to look forward to at the end, planning for the end should not be depressing or morbid. On the form, at the bottom of page 2 and the top of page 3, there are places for existing funeral arrangements and location. This information is about both where I'd want to have my service held and where I'd like to be buried. Where would you want to be buried or have your ashes spread? For me, the where is not so important as who I'm buried next to. I'm assuming that once I'm resurrected, the first person I will see is Jesus, and the second person will be whoever I was buried next to. So bury me next to someone I love or someone I always wanted to meet. Where or by who would you want to be buried? I have something to look forward to, not just because of who I might be buried next to and resurrected with, but because the promises of Jesus for my end are promises for life unending. Jesus and I are not dead, and we're not done. The first promise that God promises is that Jesus will return as king. The second promise is a new body. The third promise is for a new world. What I will experience at the return of Jesus is not just the rule of the new king and not just a new body, but a whole new world. So the end is not like the beginning. Our text today is Revelation chapter 21. Let's begin with verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. I got an ad from a cemetery uh, just this week, and it says, May all who rest here enjoy eternal peace. That sounds like a good blessing so far, but then it went on to say, Choosing your final resting place on sacred ground is your choice and privilege. Planning makes it right. Now at that point, I thought the ad was out of alignment with scripture. First, eternal peace is not dependent on where I'm buried. Second, Jesus is going to make all ground sacred. God promises a renewed creation. What John sees in Revelation 21 is not the Garden of Eden or something entirely new made from nothing. It's new. It is recently made. It's never been used before, but it's also comparable to what came before, and it's superior to the old. Perhaps this illustration falls a little short, but the closest thing I could think of was getting our home remodeled. It's still my house or my kitchen or my bathroom, But it's also not the same because everything is new. At our church, we're close to getting our downstairs bathrooms remodeled. The new bathrooms will take up the exact same space and will have the same function. But anyone who goes to use them who knew what they look like now 
that person should enter and say, this is not the same. This is new. This is superior. This is the way it should have been all along. At the return of Jesus, John looks at all of creation, heaven and earth, and says, all this is new. The old stuff, the fallen creation, is gone. And God has made way for something right. Here's what he sees. He sees God's holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven to the earth. He doesn't see Jerusalem rebuilt, like in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Jerusalem is transformed into a physical and spiritual place. In the old creation, there was heaven where God dwells and earth where people dwell. In the new, there is just earth where God and humanity dwell together. In that way, it is like the Garden of Eden, but it's not a garden, it's a city. Jerusalem is not just the capital of Israel or Palestine, it's the capital city of the world, because Jesus is not just king of Israel. But I skipped a phrase. Let's go back to it. There's no more sea. This phrase, taken along with Isaiah 40, verse 4, which says, Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough plains a plain, is taken by some very literally, that the new creation will be perfectly smooth or level. We'll have a sphere with no oceans, only flat land. That doesn't sound very glorious or creative to me. I've heard some people take it to mean that we will have the ability to travel anywhere without impediments. That makes a bit more sense, because John is writing from the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, off the Mediterranean. Often when a biblical writer just says, a sea, they're actually referring to a specific body of water, such as the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee. Maybe John sees freedom from exile. It's possible, but... Think about this. We already have general freedom of movement around the world without the return of Jesus. It's called flying in an airplane. I think we should remember that Revelation is a book full of symbols, and this new creation should remind us of things in the old creation. Genesis 1, 1 through 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hoovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, the second day. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. In the beginning, there's water, and it's chaotic. Light is mixed with darkness, land is mixed with water, the atmosphere seems jumbled, but in creation, God brings order. When sin enters creation, darkness, death, and chaos returns. When John says there's no more sea, he could be saying that the chaos is gone, the darkness is gone, death is gone. 
This interpretation makes sense when we read verse 4 of Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The end is not like the beginning. God promises a new world without death. So I have hope. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read every verse of Revelation 21. Verses 8 through 17 describe the New Jerusalem city. And what I want you to know from those verses is everything in the city is based on the number 12. The dimensions, the gates, foundation materials, everything is based on 12. Now, let's jump in at verse 18. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chaldoni, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth christopars, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. There are several different ways we could look at the New Jerusalem. Its size, beauty, and value are all immense. But I want us to look at the items in terms of quality. The new world that God creates is, uh, that he promises, is a permanent creation. The renewed creation is complete, so there's no need for it ever to be remade again. The new creation is also whole in terms of people and materials. I mentioned that 12 is used to describe the city. The dimensions are multiples of 12 by 12 by 12. There are 12 angels at 12 gates. The city has 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. We read of 12 types of gemstones used in the construction and ornamentation. 12 represents completeness of the people of God. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 spies sent into the promised land. Solomon had 12 deputies for all of Israel. The temple was full of items of 12s, and Jesus names 12 apostles. For the New Jerusalem to be a place of 12s, that means all of God's people, Jews and Gentiles, must be gathered in an eternal covenant with God. They're all there. As for the materials, the description is of gold that's so pure that it's clear and gemstones. Gold gets its color from impurities. That's why we have yellow, silver, and rose-colored gold jewelry. The gold in the New Jerusalem has no impurities. That implies to me that it will not oxidize or tarnish. Its beauty will not fade. The city is built with gemstones, not just rock, not granite or marble, but sapphire, emerald, topaz, amethyst, gemstones, have a hardness because of their crystal structure that's stronger than common rock. Second Peter 3, 5-7 compares the first and the renewed creations. Peter writes, They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world that, of that time perished when it was flooded. 
By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Here again, Peter is showing us that the end is not like the beginning. The first creation, there is chaos of water to which God brings order. Sin brings disorder, and God destroys that first creation with water. That's the Noah flood story. God promises not to destroy creation in that way again. Peter says the renewed creation is brought about by fire. This could be literal fire. This could be the power of the Holy Spirit. This could be the glory and majesty of Jesus. It could be all three of these. But consider this. How is gold purified? Fire and heat. How are gemstones created? Pressure and heat. So the renewed creation has gone through a purification process. It means there's no potholes in the streets of gold. There are no crumbling in the jasper foundations. Gemstones are not porous and get full with water and freeze. There's no rust in the pearl gates. Creation is made to last forever. It's been washed with water and now purified by fire. The United States Congress is debating a huge infrastructure spending plan. At different points in the past, our leaders decided as a country we needed roads, bridges, rail, dams, electricity, and communications. But we didn't necessarily budget well over time for maintaining or innovating all that stuff. Unfortunately, few people of either political party seem willing to cut spending in one area in order to fund spending in this other area. Why do that when you can just borrow or print more money? Fortunately, God doesn't have that problem. God not only has unlimited resources, but God builds his kingdom to last forever. God promises a new world without death, and that doesn't fall apart. So I have hope. Let's read some more of Revelation 21, starting verse 6. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then verse 22. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. They will bring joy, excuse me, they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Here we see an incorruptible creation. This is slightly different than permanent creation. After sin enters the world, Genesis 3, 22 through 24 says, The Lord God said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. 
Humans there are removed from the Garden of Eden so they will not eat from the Tree of Life. If they were to eat from the Tree of Life, they would have eternal life, but they would also be eternally corrupt. This is why in the renewed creation where there is again a spring of life and the Tree of Life, there cannot be corruption. It's the same as we learned last week. Corruptible must be, or excuse me, corrupt must become the incorruptible to enter the kingdom of God. Human corruptibility is removed. God gives his people the water of life, eternal life, and adoption into his family. All who remain in their sin, not having accepted forgiveness by the sacrifice of Jesus, described here as cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, these people who have been resurrected die again. It seems they go to a place of permanent purification because it's fire. Religious corruptibility is also removed. There are no longer multiple religions saying we have the correct way to God. There's no longer multiple denominations saying we interpret God's will the best. There is no temple. If I want to know the truth, I go to Jesus, who is literally the light of the world. He and the Father are the temple. The gemstones, the building material of the New Jerusalems, refract light. So as Jesus illuminates creation, his city spreads his light. Government and social corruptibility is also removed. In God's kingdom, the nations, which can mean political and ethnic nations, walk according to the light of Jesus and live in glory and honor, bringing him glory and honor. No corrupt government, no racism. Verse 27 says, nothing unclean will ever enter. We've got to dig into that because it shows how the end is not like the beginning. In the first creation, what or who entered in to mess everything up? The serpent. I believe Revelation is telling us that that cannot happen again. In the renewed creation, even spiritual beings are somehow transformed. Those who are disobedient are now, or excuse me, those who are obedient are now incorruptible, and those who are corrupted are destroyed. You know, the Bible describes a divine assembly. Daniel chapter 10 speaks of spiritual beings over nations, some serving God and others opposing God. Michael is the prince of the people of God, Israel. There's also a prince of Persia and a prince of Greece that oppose God. Spiritual corruption like that will not continue in the kingdom. The end of spiritual corruption in the kingdom is prophesied in Psalm 82. Listen to this. God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. Rise up, God. Judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Saying God will take away the rule of any other spiritual power, and they will be eliminated in the same way evil human beings are, which implies thrown into the lake of fire. So God promises a new world without death that doesn't fall apart and which is incorruptible. So I have hope. 
This hope should give me more than just a positive attitude for the future. I trust that I will be in that future, but I don't want to be the only person there. This hope is a reason to fulfill the Great Commission. The incorruptible are not going to get in, so I want people to be transformed by Jesus. This is a reason to pray for people. The formal name for this is intercessory prayer or standing in the gap. And here are three tips for praying for others with hope. First, pray scripture. The scriptures are the promises of God. I don't have to think about what God wants for a person if God has already told me what he wants for them. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Second, I pray in the name of Jesus. Pray with the authority of Jesus, because I'm asking for what Jesus would ask for. Jesus prayed for people to be healed, to receive forgiveness, to have their physical needs met, to have peace, and to come to faith. Third, be dedicated and committed. Hopeful prayer is continuous prayer, not a one-off. It's not me saying, I prayed for you. It's, I'm continually praying for you. You've probably heard in the news about QAnon. Unfortunately, Christians are getting sucked into this conspiracy theory movement. QAnon is a far-right conspiracy theory and movement centered on claims made by an anonymous people that a cabal of satanic, cannibalistic pedophiles operates a global child sex trafficking ring that conspired against former President Donald Trump during his term in office. QAnon supporters gathered last Tuesday, November 2nd, in Dallas for the return of John F. Kennedy Jr. to make an announcement that he would run in 2024 with Donald Trump. JFK Jr. died in 1999, 22 years ago. Yet there were people awaiting his return to usher in a second presidential term for Donald Trump. That is neither the person nor the kingdom I hope in. I believe Jesus is coming back. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? If you do, then you have the promise of a new world and you can live with hope. You're not dead and you're not done. Let's pray from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleeps to the ones he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Lord, may we labor to bring more sons and daughters into your everlasting kingdom. So your kingdom will be whole. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now to you, from him who is and who was and who is to come, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, may grace, peace, and power abound.